Some of you are going to think I'm a crackpot junkie after 30 minutes from now. Who's ever felt like they're not good enough? It is so common. We'll all agree in this room that it's those broken moments that give us the opportunity to go within. I was smoking, I was drinking, and then I fell in love, which was so inconvenient at the time. Probably for the first 30 plus years of my life, I was really scared of the truth. The thing about truth is, it's bullshit. <laughs> Nobody gets through life unscathed. We all look at that as if our life is screwed up, that that is actually an opportunity for us to grow and expand. In 2019, the Wellness Base Camp returns. In Fremantle. Newcastle. And our first ever international adventure in Auckland. Two for one tickets are under 100 bucks. Get them before they run out at thewellnessbasecamp.com. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to The Healthy Shift Worker with your host, Audra Starkey. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Shift Worker podcast. My name is Audra Starkey and I'm here to help you to manage some of the toughest challenges we face whilst working 24-7. Thanks for tuning in and joining me this morning as we roll out yet another episode on all things to do with shift work wellness. It's hard to believe that we're actually up to episode number 70 today, um, but my main motivation and inspiration for running this podcast has always been to bring you plenty of free content, resources and conversations on the topic of shift work health so that you can then apply apply what resonates with you into your own shift working lifestyles. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about a topic that I'm sure the vast majority of you will be able to relate to at some point in time, in particular the night shifters amongst us, and that's the concept of split sleep. This is because it can be very hard to acquire that big chunk of sleep during the daytime when everyone else is up and out and about. And to talk about this topic, I've brought on Dr. Melinda Jackson, who I met at the recent Sleep Down Under conference here in Brisbane a few weeks ago. Melinda is a researcher and registered psychologist specialising in sleep disorders based at RMIT University in Melbourne. She's also the co-chair of the Chronobiology Special Interest Group of the Australasian Sleep Association and treasurer of the Australasian Chronobiology Society, an area that I'm absolutely fascinated with. So I'm really looking forward to our conversation this morning. So to talk more about split sleep, I'd like to give a warm and friendly healthy shift worker welcome to Melinda. Good morning, Melinda. Welcome to the podcast. Good morning, Audra. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's good to. I'm. I think I'm even more excited than you. I'm sure, <laughs> <laughs> given what you've been up to lately. Um, so yes, but I know that you've um, just before we went to air, you did share with me that you've just come back from Fiji. So you're probably feeling quite chilled and relaxed at the moment. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, certainly. Uh, yep. Yeah. Much more relaxed than, than a few weeks ago. That's <laughs> <laughs> good. Excellent. I've caught you at a good time then, so that's yes. good. All right. Well, thank you so much um, for joining me, Melinda. As I mentioned, we did meet uh, for the very first time at the Sleep Down Under conference here in Brisbane where you were delivering a talk titled, Can Splitting the Timing of Sleep Reduce the Adverse Effects of night shift work. So when you put that title up uh, on the screen, you kind of had me at hello, um, <laughs> given so many of um, our listeners can, you know, work that shift work, night shift, and they certainly experience it. But I guess first things first, um, and this might be a fairly obvious question, but what exactly is split sleep? 
Yeah, well, it is a, it is sort of an obvious question, I guess, but um, at the same time, there's a few different definitions. So, I guess, um, you know, split sleep could mean two or more sleep periods, um, either ranging from a main sleep at night and a supplemental nap. So, for example, if you're sleeping six hours at night and then maybe have a two-hour nap during the day um, through to a main sleep and several naps, um, or perhaps some um, industries might, you know, or some workers might have multiple naps um, across the, the 24 hours without any clear main sleep. And this is called polyphasic sleep. Um, for example, say physicians who are working around the clock. Um, and it's common in a number of industries um, that require around the clock work where the workers can sleep at or near the workplace, such as in maritime, health, defence, um, firefighters and the transport industry. And as I mentioned, this can be relatively ad hoc scheduling, so napping when opportunities arise, or perhaps you're having a nap before you start your, your night shift, for example, so that mm. can be very kind of ad hoc napping. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also, from an operational perspective, very structured shift scheduling um, where there's, you know, a number of crew that are on shift um, around the clock and they work particular blocks of, of time during um, the 24 hours. So, so you, in, in that reference, you might be saying that their, their shift might be for a 24-hour period, but they are allowed to um, sleep intermittently during that time. Is that what you're referring to? That's exactly right. So, for mm. example, you know, in maritime or transport industries, they might have um, what they call a four-on, four-off schedule, um, a four-on, eight-off schedule, or a six-on, six-off schedule. So, but they're very structured schedules so that there's always crew available um, and working. Mm. And um, you're referring to hours there, not four days on, four days sorry, off. Sorry, yeah. four <laughs> hours. Sorry, yeah. 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 So there's particular industries that do, uh, and some of your um, listeners might be in those types of, of um, schedules mm. rather than a consolidated nighttime, um, you know, block of work um, and sleeping during the day. Yeah. Because interestingly, history has shown that we used to sleep in diff- in two, I think, different blocks or segments. Is that correct? I think uh, we refer to that as that um, or that monophasic is that single sleep versus biphasic. Is, is that right? Yeah. So, um, there's numerous accounts um, of segmented sleep or bimodal or biphasic sleep um, throughout history. Um, so, in medical texts, there's reference to this um, in court records um even in Charles Dickens' novels and, and in diaries, there's reference to this idea of first sleep and second sleep. Um, and there's also some evidence of this in um, African and South American tribes. So it's, was, you know, it was in the pre-industrial times, this was actually quite common and anthropologists actually believe that this type of bimodal sleep was the norm. Um, so essentially what would happen is that households would retire to, to bed a couple of hours um, after dusk um, because they, you know, didn't have the uh, the light bulb wasn't invented at this time. So, you know, it was no getting Netflix a bit dark. Or TV. That's right. They couldn't Netflix and chill. They kind of just went to bed. Um, but then they'd wake up a few hours later um, and perhaps be up for one to two hours um, and then have a second sleep until dawn. 
So, during this waking period, they would relax, they might ponder their dreams, um, they might engage in some activities like sewing or chopping wood um, and just relying on the light of the moon or, or oil lamps. Um, and so, they'd still be getting the same amount of sleep across 24 hours as we do. So, they weren't sleeping any longer um, or shorter, but it was just divided differently to how we typically you know, sleep in modern times. Mm. Um, and of course, you know, in, in today's society, we do see some cultures that routinely split their sleep like this. So, you know, um, having a, a nap in the afternoon, um, like the, the sort of siesta cultures in Spain. Um, so, you know, and they're really working with their circadian rhythms. Um, but of course, not all cultures or workplaces really allow for this type of, of napping. <laughs> Um, but that said, there are some companies now, um, such as Google, um, that do recognise the importance of napping, not only for mm. their workers' alertness, but also for creativity and problem solving and, and getting you know insight into problems. Um, and so they've actually implemented napping pods at Google, and I think in a number of other you know, of these types of workplaces. And this allows their workers to get some shut-eye during the day and it's thought to boost their creativity. So, that's quite an interesting um, new phenomenon that's happening in the workplace. Mm, I do <laughs> I do know about those nap pods. I actually um, spoke on a different podcast episode with a gentleman over in Denmark who co-founded the napping pods. Um, right. We had a really good discussion um, about uh, because I believe that there are some here in Australia in some of the workplaces and, yeah, he's trying to get them more and more. I just, they're brilliant. They're, yeah, I thought they were amazing kind of concept. So, yeah. But yeah. what made you decide to do research on on split sleeping? Yeah, Um so, I guess we're very aware of the adverse effects of, of night shift, um, as many of your listeners will be, um, you know, aware of as well on sort of health and safety and productivity. Um, we know that workers who work at night and trying to sleep during the day, they're often quite sleep restricted because their sleep's truncated um, during the day. Um and, you know, they, they can have some issues with um, sleepiness during the night and um, overeating perhaps during the night or choosing different types of foods that may not be um, the best options health-wise. Um, and so, you know, we're kind of interested in looking at some alternatives um, such as a split sleep schedule, but we're not really clear, clear on what the benefits are of these types of schedules compared to consolidated night shift um, schedules. Um, and so, when I was doing my postdoc in the US, um, we were approached by the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, um, FMCSA, and they were interested in looking at their current sleeper birth rule for um, sustaining their driver's safety and health. And their current rules allowed for 14 hours on duty, 10 hours off duty. But with res yeah, mm. but with respect to their sleeper birth rules or use, um, the current rule limited their 10 hours off duty to two blocks of only eight hours and two. So they could only have like a consolidated eight hours sleep and maybe a two hour nap that 
they didn't let, allow any flexibility with that. Um, but they were allowed to do have these sleep periods whenever they wanted. <laughs> so okay. there wasn't any kind of clear guidelines as to the placement of the sleep, um, but only that it had to be at least eight hour, you know, time off. Um, and so we wanted to look at whether there was, um, you know, some benefits of perhaps splitting that sleep dif- differently, allowing them a bit more flexibility with the amount of sleep that they got. Um, but we really don't know the, the effects um, or the benefits of these types of schedules, particularly the health consequences. Um, and I think it's really important to look at these alternatives to improve health and safety of the of night shift workers while also allowing for the operational demands of the industry, mm. um, particularly given the safety critical nature of many of these industries that have these um, types of scheduling. So, oh, absolutely. And when they're you know behind the wheel of a, a trains and you know operating machinery, where you really are not only you're putting your life at risk but the life of others, um, it's yeah, really needs to be a priority. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> And physicians working nights and making, you know, critical health yeah. um, decisions about their patients and, Absolutely. Um, and nurses and, you know, so it's, it's really important to look at sort of alternatives and whether there might be a better way of, of um, improving health and safety of our workers. Mm, yeah, so that it's a win-win for, you know, both the organisation and the employee, obviously, for that's right for what yeah. they need. Yeah. I remember, um, Melinda, you mentioned in your talk that night shifters um, are already starting with this high sleep pressure to fall asleep given that they've been up during the night. Um, but is it really down to the fact that they're also really out of alignment with their sleep rhythm? that's causing them not to be able to sleep during the day, you know, despite feeling so exhausted. That's what the most frustrating thing I think is, is, you know, after night shift we're so exhausted but we've got that sleep pressure but the sleep rhythm is out of alignment too. Yeah, you're exactly right. So for night shift workers, they're competing against their sort of biology in a sense um, because they're misaligned with with what – their biology wants them to be doing. Um, So I guess, yeah, there's two main processes that are in play that you've talked about. There's the sort of circadian process for wakefulness um, and alertness, and this is governed by our body clock. And this process peaks in the early morning, um, just when a night shift worker is trying to to sleep. Mm. (laughs) Um, And it drops in the afternoon as we all sort of experience this post-lunch dip, that sort of bit of drowsiness we get about three, four o'clock in the afternoon, Um, and increases slightly again in the early evening. So often night shift workers might kind of feel like they're getting a bit of a second wind in that early evening. Um, And then there's a second natural dip around three or four o'clock in the morning, um, which for day shift workers, that helps us to maintain our sleep in those early hours. But for a night shift worker, (laughs) they're having this lull in their alertness when they're trying to be, you know, productive at work. So that's that's the you know the competing issue there, um, and then there's this sort of drive this drive for wakefulness, the homeostatic process that builds. So essentially, um, the longer we're awake, the more likely it is that we'll fall asleep. Is the basic principle, 
yeah of of this homeostatic process and for a night shift worker who's been awake all night um this process is building 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 so when they get home um in the morning after their night shift they're their, the drive for sleep is is quite high, um, so they might fall asleep quite quickly. But because their circadian process is starting to rise, their sleep is actually truncated, so they can't get that full sort of six, seven, eight hours of sleep that a day shift worker would. Um, they might be, you know, often they get sort of, um, you know, sleep restricted by about two to four hours. Um, and so then they're waking up and um, in the early afternoon and probably find it difficult to get back to sleep again. Um, and they might have other family commitments or things to do, um, uh, you know, at home or um, that, you know, keep them awake during this time. So they sort of have this constant underlying um, sleep restriction, I guess, that's chronically continuing on. Um, so it is a real competition with their biology. Uh, and it makes it really, really difficult um, for shift workers to sleep during the day uh, and and be alert during shift mm. at night. I guess one of the downsides too is with split sleeping is that, you know, we have to kind of fall asleep twice, not just once. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a really good point. And so there's some, you know, although there's some benefits that our research has shown, um, which I can talk about in a moment, mm. but I guess some of the cons of of this type of schedule is that, yes, you have to fall asleep twice and it's never going to be an ideal placement of that nap either. Like one of the naps will probably be, you know, during the, the, the night, the biological night where, you know, it will be easier for you to fall asleep, but the other nap will likely be during the day when it is a little bit harder and you may not feel like falling asleep, but you yeah. kind of need to. Um, the other side of it is when you wake up from those naps that there's a little bit of sleep inertia that's there um, which is a little sort of that sort of groggy feeling we, we get when we first wake up um, and it's particularly worse if you're waking up during an afternoon nap so we have to sort of take into account you know 30 minutes to an hour after that that sleep period um, till we kind of get through that sleep inertia and, and are ready to um, perform um, to our best ability I guess so there's a few downsides that there's two sleep onsets that need to occur and also two sleep inertias that occur at the mm. other side of course yeah. yeah the yeah the grogginess factor when we wake up yeah that's a good mm. point that's a good point yeah in the um at the conference um that you were speaking at melinda you were referring to a meta-analysis published in the scandinavian uh, Journal of Work Environment and Health, I think it was, uh, that compared three different types of shift schedules. Could you kind of share with our listeners a little more about that study and, wh and what were some of the results and or conclusions from that particular um, study? Sure. So um, I what it was a really nice meta-analysis. It was actually done by a group in Adelaide um, and they looked at both field and laboratory studies that had looked at different split sleep schedules. And of course, you know, across a number of industries, there's a huge variation in the different types of schedules. Um, mm. But they were able to narrow it down to sort of three key groups, which were six hours on, six hours off, um, four hours on, eight hours off, 
and eight hours on, eight hours off. Um, there was also another category of irregular shift, um, which they also talked about, but really the comparison they made was across these three different studies that had looked at these three different types of, of shifts. Um, and what they found was that obviously the amount of sleep that people could get varied with the opportunity that they had. Um, so, you know, if you had six hours off, you'll have more opportunity for sleep than if you had only four hours off, for example. Um, but even within the studies, um, there was large variation um, in the amount of sleep that people obtained. Um, and this might have been because of the different ways they measured sleep. So, some studies would measure sleep using a wristwatch actigraphy monitor, which just monitors yeah. movement. Um, and other studies actually did a full polysomnography where they wired people up with um, electrodes to look at the actual um, brain activity and could stage um, the amount of sleep they were getting. Um, but I guess some of the key uh, outcomes they found was that individuals who were working four hours on and eight hours off, they averaged about one hour more sleep than those who were working the six hours on, six hours off, and about 1.3 hours more than those who were working eight hours um, so the more so the less time you were at work, um, then the more sleep you got, which was interesting. Um, they also found that sleepiness was higher in schedules um, that had longer work periods, so the eight hour on, um, schedules, those workers had more sleepiness as you would expect, particularly towards the end of their shift. Um, and also they looked at studies who um, measured performance, not just workplace performance, but they had um, a reaction time task um, as well that they got the workers to do. And um, there was a study in train drivers that showed there was worse performance um, who in those who are working late compared to early shifts and, again, worst um, performance on reaction time tests at the end of the shift compared to the start of the shifts, as you would expect. Mm, yeah. Um, so, basically, um, as many of these reviews kind of conclude, um, there is more work that needs to be done. So, this study was really just comparing the um, shift uh, split sleep um, schedules to you know, other split sleep schedules, but really we need more data on split sleep versus consolidated mm. um, sleep schedules and in particular the health um, benefits yep. or health outcomes. Yeah. So it was, a, it was a really interesting study and one that was able to directly compare hours of sleep um, but, you know, I think we really need to do more work in terms of what are the benefits compared to typical night shift work. It makes you wonder too when, uh, you know, because these were obviously shorter. I like the four hours on, eight hours off. I think every person listening to that episode with this podcast now will be going, I'll sign up for that shift, thanks very much. Mm -hmm. Um four hours on eight hours off but it yeah it sort of it it sort of I guess does my head in sometimes when I hear of these excruciatingly long shifts that you know a lot of a lot of 12 hour shifts that organizations and and companies get their staff to do as a mandatory it just sort of doesn't make sense does it when you're sort of expecting them to work for such a long duration and then expect them to have that alertness that mental clarity that um that 
that someone yeah. that works a normal eight, nine to five job would. That's right. And not only that, like at the end of those shifts as well, a lot of people have to get home somehow, you know, they're oh, not necessarily exactly. sleeping um, yeah. in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And so it's that safety when they're driving home um, is the is another issue that's kind of being looked at more at the moment, um, in particularly in the US in physicians um, and after their long shifts and um, their drive home, how that's impacting on um, their safety in mm. that sense, not even on shift, but um, after the shift. Mm. Oh, good. I'm glad that they're looking. Yeah, I'm glad that they're looking at that. You also mm. talked about a study um, that was done on truck drivers, uh, Melinda. Can you share a little more about uh, the results of that study and what was sort of investigated? Yeah, so I, I alluded to this earlier, this study that I did um in 2011 um, in, the, in the US, in the US. By, yep. by the FMCSA. Mm-hmm. And and so in this study, we were comparing consolidated day shift um, versus consolidated night shift versus a split sleep schedule. Got it. Um, so in the split sleep group, they uh, – and, and I must point out, this is a laboratory-based study and these were all non-shift workers. We got a very healthy, young group of people uh, to come into the lab. Okay. So, we could look at – and I guess the, the benefits of that is that you can look at um, the impact of the schedule itself on very, you know, um, uh, specific outcome measures um, in a very tightly controlled environment, um, whereas shift workers have a lot of other um, things, you know, they might be coming off a shift and they might have a bit of sleep restriction and they, you know, they might not be as healthy or, you know, so we, we tried to get a very healthy young group that hadn't didn't have any they weren't shift workers they hadn't been on any overseas travel um, all those types of things didn't have any sleep issues so we compared these three groups Um, they came into the laboratory and lived in the lab for 14 days Um, and the split sleep group in particular they had a five-hour nap between 3 p.m and 8 p.m and they had a second nap between 3 a.m and 8 a.m uh, whereas the night shift group slept during the day for 10 hours or had a 10-hour sleep opportunity and the day shift group had a nighttime 10-hour sleep opportunity. So we're really giving them a maximum amount of opportunity for sleep so they could get as much sleep as they could um, within that time period. So basically we, we measured their sleep um, using the um, polysomnography, so all the electrodes. We could score sleep um, very clearly. Um, they performed a range of tasks such as the psychomotor vigilance task I mentioned earlier and they also did high fidelity driving simulation um, we were asked them about how sleepy they were feeling um, and we also looked at some biomedical measures um, of blood glucose um, IL-6 which is a sort of um, inflammatory marker mm-hmm. um, leptin and testosterone to look at sort of gut um, and appetite hormones ah, that would have been and, interesting mm. yeah yeah, yeah. So, um, basically compared to um, those who are working in the day shift and the split sleep, though the, the night shift group slept less, they felt sleepier, um, they had some glucose 
dysregulation. So their glucose metabolism wasn't quite up to scratch. And they also had some changes in blood pressure. Um, so we did see some health, sleep and alertness issues in the night shift group, but these weren't shown in the day or split sleep groups. Um, we didn't see any differences in performance across the groups. Um, but what we kind of concluded from this is that split sleep um, scheduling poses no additional risk to alertness um, or, or sleep um, or health potentially compared to um, a night shift schedule. So this has implications for these kind of sleeper birth rules um, that I mentioned earlier. Mm. And there's actually a pilot program that has just been completed in 100 drivers in the US to examine alternative schedules, but using in the field, so using actual truck drivers. So yeah. it's really important to kind of do these tightly controlled studies in the laboratory, and then you can roll it out to the field to sort of see what the real world implications are. Totally. Yeah. When, yeah, as you said, when everything else is combined amongst it, when they're actually doing the job, the challenge of doing the job, the mental challenge of doing the job as well. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, very, very interesting. So for our listeners then, what, what really are some of the benefits um, for sleeping in, in two different segments? Please tell them that there's some yeah. benefits. <laughs> I think there definitely are. I think that... Um, the, in these types of rosters, the buildup of that homeostatic drive for sleep might be reduced um, because you're having a shorter shift. Um, you know, you're not working as long in the shift um, and you're allowed more frequent sleep opportunities. So you, your sleepiness levels are lower. Um, because you're getting some opportunity to sleep during the night, the biological night, um, then your, your actual total sleep time across the 24 hours is better than a night shift worker who has to just sleep the whole time of in, in the day, in the you know, biological day. Um, so, there's benefits for um, your, your amount of sleep that you're getting. And that has, you know, downstream effects on things like your well-being and your mood and your health as well. Um, so that's something else that, you know, we're really looking into is, uh, is sleep restriction uh, that's associated with night shift work. Does that impact on the mental health of, of workers? And I'm mm. sure it does, but we, we need kind of more evidence of that. Um, and we also find that split sleep – um, there's less worsening of performance in that circadian dip um, around the circadian nadir, we call it, um, compared to night shift workers. So we're seeing some benefits for their sleepiness levels, improving their total sleep time, and also their performance compared to night shift work. And we're hoping that there might be more evidence coming that there might be some longer-term health benefits mm. of this as well. Um, but even if you're not working in a split sleep industry, <laughs> if I could call it that, um, it can still be beneficial to have that sort of prophylactic nap prior to a shift um, just to try and reduce your that homeostatic drive for sleep before you begin your shift. And I'm sure a lot of your workers um, and your listeners are doing that, um, just trying to, to especially when they're um, starting a new shift schedule of just sort of napping prior to going into the, to the night shift. Um, and so even if you're 
sleep is cut short in the early afternoon, either due to your physiology, as I've talked about, or perhaps you need to get up to pick up the kids from school or, you know, um, get to the bank or whatever you need to do, um, it might still be beneficial to get a short nap before your night shift. And any sleep beyond 20 minutes um, is, is thought to have um, the same minute-for-minute recuperative value as a longer sleep. So, even a short nap of, you know, 30 minutes to an hour can still have some benefits. Mm, yeah, no, the napping before night shift is something that I – dare I say, harp on a fair bit with my clients Mm -hmm. Um, and also bring up that topic at at a lot of workshops that I deliver to because interestingly, a lot of, I'm quite shell-shocked actually the amount of people that don't have naps before their first night shift, um, which is obviously the best strategy for kind of reducing that uh, sleep debt that can accumulate quite quickly. Um, so for everyone that's listening, please make sure that um, you you kind of try and find ways to implement it into your schedule in some way, shape or form because it's I think it's otherwise you, you're sort of running on empty um, right from the get-go. Yeah, yeah. and it's really hard to, um, you know, you can't flick, flip your um, circadian rhythms around very easily, you know, unless you're working a lot of permanent night shifts, it's very difficult Absolutely. to shift yourself. Yeah. And so, you you need, kind of need that transition nap, particularly, as you're saying, you know, before the first night shift mm-hmm. to just sort of transition yourself um, as much as possible um, so you're as, as alert as possible on shift that night. Yeah. yeah. And I think you were referring to before about having to do those split um, those sleeps. Uh, some of my uh, clients and nurses um, are able to or depending on where they are their occupation, they are able to have that uh, opportunity to sleep during the night, you know, if they're not too busy. So they can do it. But for most, I think, um, shift workers out there, that sort of luxury is not really um, available all the time. And I suppose where I'm seeing the split sleep more often is that post-night shift as they come home and they'll get about four to five hours in or four hours and then they wake up and then, um, you know, they can't go back to sleep or whatever, have something to eat and then trying to do another nap afterwards. Yeah, and I, I think they're definitely I, – I, you know, I haven't talked a lot about napping per se and there's a whole other sort of podcast. Yeah, yeah of course. I'm sure you've done it before. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we've really focused on the, the split sleep scheduling, but, yeah, I think there's definitely benefits of um, splitting your sleep across the day um, just in your own schedule, in, outside of your work um, yep. schedule. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, I guess to wrap up, I suppose, do you think we're putting too much pressure on ourselves to kind of get this big one chunk of sleep? I think we are. Um, I think that uh, it's perfectly normal for people to wake up one to two times during the night for, you know, just for day shift workers, for example. Mm. Um, And interestingly, you know, a lot of people will come and and see us in in the clinic um, complaining that they're waking up and we ask them, you know, well, how much are you waking up? Oh, two times. And are you able to go back to sleep? Yeah, yeah, I can go back to sleep, you know, but is there something wrong with me? And the answer is no, you know, it's it's perfectly normal to be waking up. And if you can go back to sleep quite easily, then that's, that's great. And interestingly, um, the appearance, the appearance of sleep maintenance insomnia in the literature so that 
inability to um, waking up during the night and inability to fall back to sleep and and getting stressed about um, being awake. Um, The appearance of this sort of phrase or the idea of sleep maintenance insomnia in the literature in the late 19th century actually coincides with the period where accounts of split sleep um, start to disappear. So, there was something happening mm-hmm. in that era where, you know, people stopped doing the split sleep type schedule and the, the bimodal um, sleep scheduling uh, and and started to try and do this more consolidated sleep, perhaps with, with the invention of the light bulb and those types of things. And so, maybe modern society is placing unnecessary pressure on individuals that they must obtain a full night of continuous consolidated sleep every night um, and without any wake-ups. And this really adds to our anxiety about Mm. sleep and perpetuates the problem. So, I think that um, we do put a lot of pressure on ourselves um, and sometimes if you can just – if you do wake up during the night rather than – all day. All day. All day. <laughs> yep. Even just trying to keep your eyes closed, um, do some mindfulness or, um, you know, even, yeah, just, you know, taking your mind away to something, trying not to get too caught up in those thoughts um, that might be coming. Um, and, and you might actually drift back to sleep again. It's easier said than done. Mm. <laughs> um, and insomnia is very common, um, particularly for night shift workers. So, um, But there is certainly um, help out there. So there are a lot of insomnia um, psychologists uh, around um, and you can find a lot of them on the um, Australasian Sleep Association website. Um, so it's definitely worth talking to someone about um, your sleep um, if you're having trouble, even though you sort of might think, well, I'm a night shift worker, of course I can't sleep. Um, there may be still some things that we can do to help. So it's definitely mm. worth talking to, to someone about um, if, you're, if you're having issues. Absolutely, because it can be very multifactorial uh, why we're not sleeping, not just we can't blame shift work for everything <laughs> that's right mm. yeah 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 yep. so yeah. yeah brilliant well i'll make sure that i um put the links for that australasian sleep association and everything on the uh on the show notes of this podcast but it's been an absolute um pleasure talking to you this morning um melinda thank you so much for sharing your knowledge in this area uh, i know that you are doing a lot a lot of research with um your phd students and everything on behind the scenes i think before we went to air you're mentioning about doing some uh, research on paramedics in regards to mental health and I, I'm i really um, quite interested to hear more about how that how that goes uh, once that research becomes published. But if our listeners are wanting to know more about what you're doing uh, and learn more about the research, how can people find you? Uh, so you can find me on the RMIT website and we're planning to put up a new web page um, for our sleep lab. So hopefully in the next few months um, there might be further details as well um, about what the, what research we're doing and um, if you want to get involved as a participant even. Um, so, mm, yeah, just go to uh, rmit.edu.au and search for Melinda Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you so very much um, for joining me uh, today, Melinda. I know I'm pretty certain that a lot of our listeners uh, gained lots of information from our uh, conversation this morning. 
Great. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So that's it for another edition of the Healthy Shift Worker podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please feel free to share it with other shift workers who you think may benefit, as this will help me to spread the Healthy Shift Worker message to shift workers and organisations all around the world. If you're wanting to learn more about what I do, including my Better Sleep and Nutrition Kickstart program or some of the workplace wellness workshops that I run all around the country, then please head over to healthyshiftworker.com for more information. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening. Until next time, may you continue to be as healthy as you possibly can be despite working 24-7. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash The Wellness Couch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.